Welcome, everyone. You're listening to Truth in Christ Radio, a Bible teaching radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Rochester with Senior Pastor Rob Kellogg. You know, the sea of glass reminds me, and I would have you just write down some scriptures. I'm going to give them to you. We're just going to look at a few of them, and then we're going to go on here, okay? But just to kind of give you a a balanced view of what we're seeing here. Because again, what God puts in his word is there by design. He's either pointing us back to something that he's already revealed, or he's pointing us forward to things that will, will make sense once we get there. everyone and welcome to Truth in Christ Radio with Senior Pastor Rob Kellogg. John writes in our scripture for today, before the throne there was a sea of glass like crystal. Is this sea really made of glass or did it just look like it? Whether it looks like glass or is actually made of glass, it is the finest glass like crystal. The body of water before the throne is reminiscent of the laver in the tabernacle and our washing of the water of the Word. The Word is to us a crystal glass, giving us a clear sight of God and of ourselves. Now let's open our Bibles to the book of Revelation chapter 4, starting in verse 6, and follow along with Pastor Rob entirely dogmatic about it, but we know one thing, that they are not angels. If you look at Revelation 7, verse 11, it, it, it delineates the difference between the elders, the angels, and these four living creatures. Therefore, these elders, who are they? We believe that they are just nothing more than a representative of the church, Jew and Gentile, together, the redeemed a representative of the collective redeemed of the church. We believe that that's who these 24 elders are. They were clothed with white robes. They had crowns of gold on their heads. And from, the, and, and from the throne proceeded lightnings and thunderings and voices. Seven lamps of fire were burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. Isn't this imagery wonderful? And I love the fact that, you know, John here is seeing these sights. He's caught up in the spirit, if you will. He's being transported. Physically, his body was on Patmos in the Aegean Sea. But spiritually, the Lord was able to take him to the time of the end and show him things that are in heaven and the things which are going to occur after these things, which we know is chapter 4 through chapter 19. Actually, through the rest of the whole entire book of Revelation. That's the last section of the book is chapter 4 to the end. After these things, because we're still living in the church age, but seven lamps of fire, I love the imagery the language struggles to, to, to describe these things. Isn't it wonderful when you are striving for a word, when you experience something? 
Maybe you've seen something, maybe you've experienced something physically, the words break down, and sometimes it's hard to describe. Have you ever been so overwrought with emotion, and your spouse or a friend comes and says, hey, what's wrong? And you're like, I can't even talk about it, because I don't even know what's going on inside of me. Have you ever had that? You know, to me, that's one of, one of the nice things about having a prayer language, having the gift of tongues, if you have that gift, is going before the Lord on your knees privately, and you, can't, you don't even know what's going inside. You can't even describe it, but you've got this heavy burden. There's, it's such a mixture of so many things. You, you're like, Lord, I can't even describe what I'm feeling, and so you just let it go. I don't have that gift, I don't believe, but I know people who do. And praise the Lord if you have it. But notice as we get into verse 6, and hopefully we'll finish the chapter today. Um, But I want to encourage you as we get into this, you're going to see that everything in the Bible, all this imagery, all these symbols are all there by design, and they're not by happenstance. They are there for a reason, for a purpose, because God does not waste ink on the page. Everything that we have in the Word of God is not suggestions. It's not like... Uh, a Ford Motor Company, when they make a Ford, they don't put extra parts on the car. In fact, every single nut and bolt is scrutinized. And they try to make them cheaper, hopefully not on Ford trucks, but they make them cheaper so they can make more money on per, per car, per volume, over the thousands of cars that they make. Right? They do, they, they, you know, they, but even still, they don't put in spare parts. Neither does the Word of God. Neither does, neither does God put in things in the Word of God that aren't there by design for a purpose, a reason. And I love that. God says what He means, and He means what He says. And because He is God, there is no need for Him to hide anything from us. He gives us what we need. He gives us what we need enough to encourage our faith. And he doesn't deem it necessary to give us the bigger, the, the, all the minutia of the bigger picture. He doesn't give us it all. And the Bible, especially in Revelation, is trying to portray things that really defy language. And I want you to remember something about symbols, because we're going to see a lot of them in this chapter and going forward. A symbol is always less than the reality. Do you understand? When, when, a symbol is always less than the reality. I give a symbol to, well, it's like this. You've heard in English class, it's like a simile. Well, you know, when I saw it, it was, it was kind of like this. But the symbol itself is pale in comparison to what they were trying to describe. Do you follow me? And so these symbols, even as you look at these things, let your heart be raptured in awe of this great God that we serve. The one who is over all things. The one who right now is in an innumerable host man, I want that to be more of a reality in my life even right now. Because see, I get so stuck on earth. I get so stuck on the things, the temporal things. When's the last time that I, when's the last time that you thought about heavenly things, really think about them, really read these chapters and go, Lord, just take me away, take me away. I'm fed up with the rotten, filthy, awful things that I see in this world. I'm tired of the filthy and the rotten things within my own soul, God. I want to see perfection. Do you long for perfection? You've come to the right place. You've come to the right place in Christ. Because he is perfect. He is almighty God. Amen? Amen. I was going to say, can I get a witness? Yes, because I grew up in the South. That's right. (laughs) So, 
We look at verse 6. Before the throne there was a sea of glass like crystal. Notice, it was like it was like a diamond. And in the midst of the throne and around the throne were four living creatures full of eyes in front and in back. You know, the sea of glass reminds me, and I would have you just write down some scriptures. I'm going to give them to you. We're just going to look at a few of them, and then we're going to go on here, okay? But just to kind of give you a, a balanced view of what we're seeing here. Because again... What God puts in his word is there by design. He's either pointing us back to something that he's already revealed or he's pointing us forward to things that will will make sense once we get there. And here he's pointing us back to 2 Chronicles in chapter 4, verse 2. 2 Chronicles 4, verse 2. Let me just read this to you. You don't have to go there, but I would encourage you to write it down. Because this is when it speaks of this laver that was in the tabernacle or in the temple. A laver was there because people needed to wash. The priests needed to wash. When they would go to the altar and they'd bring that sacrifice, believe me, it was a bloody business. It was very bloody. And these priests needed to wash often. And they would have this huge laver. It was basically a big swimming pool, in a sense. 8,000 gallons of water were in this thing. 8,000. And that's where they would wash. And it gives us a glimpse of what we see here in, in the fourth chapter, in, the, in verse 6 here. Notice with me in Second Chronicles 4, verse 2. Let me read it to you. Then he made the sea of cast bronze. He, speaking of Solomon, David had given Solomon all the tools, everything he needed to build the temple. And the sea of, uh, of cast bronze was ten cubits from one brim to the other. It was completely round. Its height was five cubits, and a line of 30 cubits measured its circumference. And under it was the likeness of oxen encircling it all around, ten to a cubit all the way around the sea. The oxen were cast in two rows when it was cast. It stood on twelve oxen, three looking toward the south, three looking toward the north, to the east and to the west. They all looked forward, and all their backward parts pointed inward, and it was a handbreadth thick. So this, this sea of bronze was a hand breadth thick, which is very thick, very heavy, and its brim was shaped like the brim of a cup, like a lily blossom, and it contained 3,000 baths, which according to, if you do the conversion, it's about 8,000 gallons of water. That's a pretty big swimming pool. Notice the blueprint. There was a blueprint. These things were given, again, not by happenstance. They were given by God to David, and we'll look at that in a minute. But in Exodus chapter 24, what is Moses and the elders on the mountain of God? The mount, uh, on the mountain, what it says, it says, Moses went up, and also Aaron, Nadab, and Abihu, and the seventy of the elders of Israel. They saw the God of Israel, and there was under his feet, as it were, a paved work of sapphire stone, and it was like the very heavens in its clarity. So that describes this sea of glass that is before the throne, and it has its precursor even in the temple as they were with, with the brass laver, the, the, the cleaning, the place where they would clean this, this bath that was filled full of water. It had that appearance. And again, God is uh, painting this picture and, and, and causing even the tabernacle and the temple to have elements of it that matched things in the heavens, that matched things in the heavens. I love what it says in Exodus 25, verse 8. It says, And let them make me a sanctuary, God says to Moses, that I may dwell among them according to all that I show you. That is the pattern of the tabernacle and the pattern of all of its furnishings. Just so shall you make it. Why? Because it's the things of heaven. God is giving a taste, a foreshadowing of things yet to come. 
So all these things are here by design. They're not just put there because it sounds good. It sounds poetic. No, everything is there for a specific reason. It's our joy to really find out what those things mean. Right? And some of them are still unclear to us, but we can have a pretty good understanding. In Exodus 25, verse 39, concerning the gold lampstand, it says that it shall be made of a talent of gold. And he says, see to it that you make them again according to the pattern which was shown you in the mountain, Moses. There's a pattern that I've shown you. And what does it say in Exodus 26, verse 30, concerning the tabernacle again? What does it say? You shall raise up the tabernacle according to its pattern, which you were shown on the mountain. Do you see the refrain? The pattern you were shown on the mountain. The blueprint that I've already shown you, that blueprint is established because it's a very pattern like the heavens, like the throne room that we're seeing before us here. Turn with me to First Chronicles chapter 28. Let's actually turn here. And then we'll move on. First Chronicles chapter 28, beginning in verse 11. And this is David's exhortation to Solomon after Solomon became king. David had already uh, uh, um, was able to amass all the gold, the silver, the bronze. He was able to get the blueprint from the Lord by the Spirit, we're going to see. And finally, on his deathbed, as he's getting very old, He tells his young son, son, I've given you everything. I can't make this house, but you're going to make this house. And here's everything you need. I've given you everything. All the materials are here. The materials are over there. The blueprint is over there. Here are the men that are going to help you. Now get to it. I got to (laughs) go. Got to go. And he slipped off into heaven. Notice what it says, First Chronicles 28, verse 11. Then David gave his son Solomon the plans for the vestibule, its houses, its treasuries, its upper chambers, its inner chambers, and the place of the mercy seat, and the plans for all that he had by the Spirit. Underline verse 12. Of the verse of the course of the house of the Lord and all the chambers around of the treasuries of the house of God, of the treasuries for the dedicated things, for the division of the priests and the Levites, for all the work of the service of the house of the Lord, and for all the articles of service in the house of the Lord. He gave gold by weight for things of gold, all articles used in, in every kind of service, articles of silver for things by weight for all articles used in every kind of service, the weight for the lampstands of gold and their lamps of gold by weight for each. He goes through this whole thing finally to get to verse 19. For sake of time, we're just going to go right to verse 19. All this, said David, the Lord made me understand in writing by his hand upon me all the works of these plans. These plans. So everything is there by design that we're reading here in Revelation chapter 4. This throne room, it was a model of the heavenly things. Finally, one other verse. Let me just read this to you. But it's Hebrews chapter 8, verses 4 and 5. The apostle speaking concerning Jesus says, For if he, Jesus, were on the earth, he would not be a priest, since there are priests who offer the gifts according to the law, who serve, notice, the copy and shadow of the heavenly things, as Moses was divinely instructed when he set about to make the tabernacle. For he said, See that you make all things according to the pattern shown you in the mountain. How lovely. I really love that. Is God a God of order, or is he just kind of winging it? Did he just wind up the universe and kind of stepped away and says, Ah, you guys will take care of it. I'm out of here. Is that what he did? 
No, he did not. He's very, he created it all and knew exactly how it all works to its minutia. He knows how it works. He knows how you work. He knows the very thoughts that you're going to think before you even think them. He knows the words that you're going to speak today and tomorrow and next week and next year. He can tell you if he chose to. You could ask him, Lord, three years from now, should you tarry on this certain day, at this time, at this second, what word am I going to say? And he'd say, duh, or the. (laughs) Or he might be saying, you know what, you're actually asleep at that moment, so I really can't give you a precise answer, but I can tell you what you were dreaming of. See, God knows. And he's, he's got everything under control. And everything that we're seeing right now, as much as it rattles us, Be encouraged, saint. It's all happening according to his plan. Everything is on schedule. Does that mean that we should just roll over and act like and just go along with it? No. We resist sin, right? We should always resist sin in our own life. And you are the only thing that's stopping the things in the world from getting further and further along in the process that the world wants them to go. We have to be removed because once we're removed, believe me, the agenda is going to flow forward like you would not believe. But until then, we pray. Until then, we get on our knees and we pray. Until then, we resist in our hearts the, the, our own sin in our own life. God doesn't call us to have a militia. God doesn't call us as Christians to amass guns and go out and attack people. He never did that. He had his reasons when he brought the children of Israel into Canaan, but that's a whole different thing. That was a judgment. God's coming again for judgment. Are you ready? You won't be here if you're a Christian. But judgment is coming. And you know what, folks? People need to hear that. Nobody wants to talk about that. I'd much rather talk to them about chapters 4 and 5 and give them this wonderful heavenly vision of heaven. But before they can appreciate that, they have to understand that they need a Savior. They have to understand that there's something inherently wrong with them, and that's sin. I was born a sinner, and I continue to be a sinner. However, I'm saved by grace, and the Lord is transforming me. Amen? Is he doing the same for you? Hopefully. If you're a Christian, it's happening. Maybe not as fast as you'd like, and sometimes, isn't it frustrating? Have you ever made the same mistake over and over again? And say, Lord, now I understand what Paul the Apostle said when he said, O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Do you ever feel that way, or am I the only one? (laughs) Yes. I can see we're not going to finish four. (laughs) That's okay. It's our first time together. Things are happening, and it's wonderful, isn't it? Do you sense the Lord's peace on your heart, even though I'm talking about difficult things? Some of them anyway. The Lord loves you. He loves you. He loves you and I. So, notice at the end of verse 6, there are these four living creatures. It's unfortunate in the King James Version, if you have a King James Version, uh, it it calls them four living beasts. And it would be better to be rendered four living ones, four living ones, or four living creatures. Four living beasts kind of gives it, it makes it sound, uh, gives the impression of, of savagery and maybe even of corruption. But these living creatures, these living beings... These four living ones are, 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 are so much more than that. They are glorious before the throne of God, protecting the throne of God if there ever needs to be protecting. 
showing forth the things, the very heart of God, and these, these, these creatures, they are one. And God, when he speaks, when he thinks, they execute whatever it is. There's no, there's no debating. I love that. Isn't there something wonderful about good authority? We know that we're not surrounded by good authority all the time, but God uh, blesses us when we submit to that authority, even when we don't like it. But you know what? The authority of God is so much greater than anything. You know, I want to be the kind of person, I want to be the kind of Christian that when God says to do something, I want to just do it. And I don't want to ask a lot of questions. I do. <laughs> I do ask questions, but I, I, it's a place I still need to get to. Maybe you're the same way. I just want to do it. Don't you want to do it? Just when he says to do something, to just say, Lord, I don't understand it. I don't even like it, honestly. But I trust you. Isn't that Job's heart? He says, though you slay me, yet I will trust you. Though you allow me to go through a lot of pain, Lord, and you use me for some cosmic experiment, which really wasn't something that God was, um, he didn't, uh, it, it wasn't mean on God's part, but he knew the end. He knew Job's ending. He knew everything Job would go through and how at the end he'd be refined and Job would be in a much better place. But the devil and God made a, made a pact, or not a pact, but an agreement. He said to him, you know what? You can touch Job to a certain point. There's limits, devil. There are limits to what you can do. I'll allow it, because I know something you don't. And the devil's going, what? Because he's not omniscient. The devil doesn't know all things. All the devil knows is that he's got carte blanche to destroy this man's family and to touch his health. And he's thinking, how far will he let me go? Because sometimes the Lord will even allow a person to be destroyed. That's a scary thought, but that's true. So the devil's thinking, I don't care. I just want to go after him. And God says, you can, but there's a limit. You cannot cross that limit. I know the end. I know what's going to happen. He knows that about you too. You may be going through a trial something right now. We've all been going through a trial. It's been a trial of the last, this is going to be the trial of the year. This may be even the trial of the decade. Maybe even the trial of the century for us. What we've been going through. But these four living creatures, they stand before the throne of God. We know that Satan, Lucifer, he was a cherub. It tells us in Ezekiel 28 that he was the anointed cherub who covers something about these cherubim and their, and their, their power. God seems to have an order in the heavens of angels. There is an order. There's a hierarchy. There, there's a, a description. You know, as you read the word of God, you see that there are different levels, different powers, different strengths, something about it. We don't have it all together, but there definitely is these things. And these cherubs were standing before God, and, and the devil himself was, was a cherub initially. And as we look at these cherubs before the throne of God, it reminds us of the two cherubs that stood over the mercy seat in the Old Testament over the Ark of the Covenant with their wings over and looking down upon the mercy seat where blood would be dropped once to atone for the sin of Israel. Every year on the Day of Atonement, that would happen. And these cherubim would do that. They would cover. And they were full of eyes. Notice that. These were extremely intelligent beings, completely holy, committed, submitted to God. And they certainly portrayed the omniscience of Almighty God, having eyes everywhere. I speak of knowledge. I speak of understanding. And they had eyes all around. Can you imagine being around somebody like that? Woo! 
And the first living creature was like a lion, the second living creature like a calf, the third living creature had a face like a man, and the fourth living creature was like a flying eagle. These four living ones could represent the following. I'm sorry, that's all the time we have for today, but please join us next time as Pastor Rob continues our journey through the book of Revelation. Calvary Chapel of Rochester is located at 2503 Browncroft Boulevard, Rochester, New York, 14625. You can reach us at our church office between 9 a.m. and 4 p.m. Monday through Friday at area code 585-586-3140. If you would like to have an audio CD of today's message mailed to you in its unedited form, simply mention today's date when contacting our church office. You can also contact us via the web by logging on to www.calvaryrochester.com. There you will be able to access a number of useful things, such as information concerning our beliefs, our ministries, contact information, our location, service times, and much more. You can also download or listen to the radio and sanctuary messages free of charge from the teachings link at the top of the page. To listen to Calvary Chapel of Rochester Sanctuary messages or Truth in Christ Radio on your mobile device, just subscribe to both through Google Play and Apple Podcast. You may also join us on Sundays and Thursdays through live streaming of our services and Bible studies. Just click on the online services link. We're so glad that you could join us today. And if there is any way that we can bless you in your walk with Jesus Christ, please don't hesitate to call our church office. Remember, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And for this cause, I have come into the world that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. May God bless you in abundance today as you walk with him. And until next time, this has been Truth in Christ.